Welcome to the Dental Breakdown Show. This show is where we break down issues in the dental marketplace. My name is Christian White, CEO of White & Associates Practice Consulting, Better Business, Better Dentistry. We welcome Lisa Netzer and Joe Frickton to the show. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Christian. Lisa, why don't we start out with having you tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Christian. I am a, an attorney in Minnesota, and I work at Minnesota Transitions with Joe Frickton. We're a um, law firm that specializes in working with dentists. I particularly specialize in employment law, working with dentists on employment decisions and guiding them through the legal requirements. I also help draft employment um, handbooks for them and with a special eye towards specifically small employers with usually around 10 employees because there are a lot of exceptions to legal rules when you get to an employer that is that small. Um, In addition to employment law, I represent dentists who are being investigated by the Minnesota Board of Dentistry um, and I work with them on writing response letters, drafting formal responses, and will appear with them um, before the board if required. That's the type of law I do. Wonderful. That was awesome, Lisa. I think that was one of the, the best introduction we've had on the show so far. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I'm sorry. Joe, <laughs> Joe, why don't we move over to you, please? Sure. Uh, my name is Joe Frickton. I started Minnesota Transitions with Dr. Dave Lindy, and we help dentists through all stages of uh, the practice transitions from uh, practice acquisitions, practice sales, valuations, associates, uh, partnerships, and uh, real estate, and then all the legal issues that surround those, uh, those practice transitions. Great, all right, thank you very much, Joe. So Joe, I'm gonna stay with you just to kind of start things off. Um, you know, May 11th was uh, this Monday, uh, Executive Order 2051 uh, was you know, passed by the, our governor, and dentistry, you know, dentists can now do elective procedures, but a lot, most of the dentists don't know all the statutes behind that. And I think that'd be some really good information to share with them. So why don't we start there? Uh, we'll start right there with you. Sure. Thanks, Christian. Yeah, we're very excited that the governor has um, allowed dental offices to open up again. I think it's great for the population of Minnesota as well as the dental practices uh, trying to get back to work, um, get their staff members back to work and continue treating their patients. So, um, so you're, Christian, you're right that the governor issued their order 2051 to reopen dental offices. And um, my advice for, the, uh, for dentists who, as they open up is first advice is to read all of read the actual order itself um, and look at all the laws and resources that are out there and try to digest them for yourself. So the places that you should go kind of start with are the, is the Minnesota Board of Dentistry website. They have a great uh, COVID-19 page that has a long list of postings on the different executive orders and other resources. Um, they, the Board of Dentistry website has a link to CDC guidelines on dental settings, the CDC guidelines on infection control, um, and has a link to actual governor, governor's order. And I uh, recommend and encourage uh, dental, dentists who are uh, reopening their practices to actually go through and read, read through everything 
and, and digest it. You're going to have questions that come up, and you know, we certainly can help answer those questions um, as, it, as it applies for a particular practice. Um, but going through the, uh, the actual orders itself, the CDC guidelines and the Board of Dentistry website is, is good. Um, the last piece of information that I think is really helpful for dentists is going through, and this is on the Board of Dentistry website, but going through both the Minnesota Dental Association and the ADA resources. Uh, the ADA has a, a PDF that's on their website for uh, guidance on returning to work, which is very good and some great information on what to consider for your individual practice um, as you reopen. So, but getting into a little bit of the nitty gritty, what the governor has put forth is a, uh, what they're requiring doctors to do is to put together a facility plan. And the governor has, um, has a number of criteria in the facility plan that needs to be in that plan. And what I really like, we'll get into the plan in a little bit, but what I really like about this is that um, you have to, the only thing you're required to do is to prepare the plan, think through your office, and um, put that plan together, but you're not required to, ship, to file that plan with the Board of Dentistry or the state of Minnesota. You just need to have it on file, um, and it needs to be available if someone requests it. So um, the other, so that's a, kind of the, one of the main takeaways is that you don't need to do anything to, to file it. But number two that I like is that it is fully customizable to your individual practice. Um, the Board of Dentistry has a form, kind of a sample template facility plan on their website, and they have it in Word format that you can go through and customize it to fit what is, um, what's particular about your dental practice. Every, you know, we are go to dental offices all across the state, and each of them are different in one way or another. They have different facilities, different staff, different procedures, and each of them um, need, you know, are probably going to have different things in their facility plan to um, to cover all the the guidelines that the that the state and the governor is requiring. So, I you know take this as an opportunity to really think about your office and and um, and what the board and the governors are encouraging you to do, to do is to look look at your office and to customize how are you going to keep your staff safe and your patients safe and yourself safe throughout uh, your reopening. So the there, I would say that there are, in this facility plan, um, there are about three major areas that the board is looking for detail on. One is on screening, screening patients, screening staff. Um, the second is on uh, prioritizing procedures, thinking about what procedures are appropriate for your facility and your facility plan to keeping everyone safe. Uh, number three is looking at the um, looking at your PPE, your personal protective equipment, and the I guess the fourth piece is on social distancing. And how are you going to keep the staff safe and the patients safe and yourself safe as you go through, um, as people are uh, going through your facility? So um, getting into 
a, a little bit of detail on that, you know, the screening for staff and patients. And the board is recommending that, uh, and the seat from the CDC guidelines is to take patients' temperatures and staff temperatures and to screen them to see if they have potential COVID-19 symptoms. And um, it's what, what I would recommend as you're going through that is to document the screening um, as you know, inpatient records. Uh, there's actually the, the Board of Dentistry has forms on their website for documenting that. Um, and then they also have a risk form that the patients can sign that, you know, it's almost um, like a, uh, a form where they're acknowledging the risk that they're, as they come into the dental office. And so you can find that on the Board of Dentistry's website. Um, on the, the procedures in place, the board uh, prioritization of procedures, the Board of Dentistry has a great paragraph in their plan that talks about you know, language that you can use as you're opening up hygiene and uh, continuing with other uh, you know, crown and bridge and you know, other uh, services that you're gonna be providing and dental care that you're gonna be providing in your office. And so you can read through that, that they have that on, on their the, the template form and customize that as you see fit to kind of uh, to what you're gonna be doing. Um, on the, the social distancing, what the board and the CDC and the ADA are talking about in general are to limit, you know, the number of people in offices. And this is, you know, pretty self-explanatory. And a lot of this is already outlined in the actual template that the Board of Dentistry has provided. But limiting people in, in the waiting room, keeping people in their cars before they come into the office staggering appointments, uh, creating barriers, and uh, you know, in between in the front office, in the, in the front desk area, as well as in the treatment rooms as needed. Um, that, I'd say that you know, that's a piece that is gonna be a little bit, it's gonna be very individual for each office, mm -hmm. and you know, that's why it's really good to, uh, that the good that the you know, board didn't mandate anything that's required to be done for that, but you're allowed the the uh, discretion to do what you you know see as fit you know what's right for you in your office, which I think is a good definitely a good way to go. It is. On the um, one of the things I think is going to be kind of difficult is ramping up the infection control in the actual treatment rooms mm -hmm. um, and in, you know throughout the whole space. You know the the ADA and the board is giving guidance on you know allowing time for aerosols to settle in the in the room before you disinfect everything you know we don't know how long that how long that is um, but you know if, as long as you do something that's reasonable you know you're going to be you're going to be fine you, the key is to be making an effort documenting that effort putting that in your facility plan and kind of following through with that um, consider what's in the treatment room itself you know everything needs to be able to be disinfected if it's gonna be in the, in the room, in the op. Um, so for example, like a paper patient chart, you know, that might not be able to be disinfected and it can't be thrown away. So you know, the idea of decluttering uh, your ops and your overall office is gonna be, I think it's really a good step for um, you know, keeping things out of the office, out of the ops that can't be disinfected. And um, you know, making sure that the whole op 
the whole treatment room is disinfected. Uh, and there's a guide, guidance by the CDC of how to do that, how to actually disinfect the treatment rooms. Um, it's going to be uh, this is going to be really important. And then on the 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 last piece on the facility plans itself are is PPE, which is a um, I think it's going to be a, also a wide, not very wide, I guess, maybe narrow difference of opinions of what people are going to do. Um, but you know, the general guidance is that um, N95s are encouraged if for any procedure that are going to have aerosols. And um, if potentially, if you don't have as many N95s, because they're a little in short supply, is to adding a surgical mask over the N95 so that N95 can be reused. Um, they're recommending face shields as well as gowns um, for the you know, as you're treating patients. Disposable gowns need to be thrown away in between each patient, and reusable gowns need to be laundered in between each patient. So that's going to create a little bit of a difficulty in terms of a cost standpoint about investment in that. And you know, and you're going to have to make a decision about what's the most important thing and way to handle it for your own office from a from a cost standpoint. The as far as the PPE and your staff, what the what what we recommend is documenting and training your staff on how to use the PPE and what the procedures are going to be for the entire office. Um, and as you go through that training with your staff, it is you know important that that that's all documented. So if issues do come up down the road, you can show the state um, that you are, you know, you're making a good faith effort to keep the staff safe, keep yourself safe and the patient safe as you go, go through that. Um, there's a, you know, some suggestions on air filters that a dentist could use. You know, that can get really expensive and yes, <laughs> that's not, that's not a requirement, but they're suggesting that if you, um, if you have access to that, you can, you can do that if you want. Um, the, uh, but as far as the, that facility plan, I recommend reading through that entire uh, uh, plan that the board has, that template, and then customizing that again for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, a couple other suggestions that, you know, I think that's going to be really important as you open up to be successful is to is to over communicate with your staff and with their patients mm -hmm. letting them know what your procedures are so everyone understands what you know what's going to be happening and no one's going to be surprised if the staff or or doctors show up in the waiting room to take a patient to a treatment room and they're covered in a face shield and a mask and a gown and gloves um, you know a lot of times patients and doctors, they need that physical, um, that face-to-face -face contact to develop a rapport. And it's gonna be hard to have that with these, uh, the PPE requirements. So, you know, communication I think is gonna be key. Um, the other piece is considering kind of a phased opening that we're seeing. Um, and one way uh, is, is to basically start slowly in order to get your procedures down and your processes in place. Uh, I had a client I was talking to yesterday uh, decide that she's going to just start with non-aerosol procedures, hand scaling, um, and then get into more of the aerosol um, 
producing procedures down the road as she as she and the team figure out how they're going to be um, you know how they're going to be running the office and complying with their facility plan that they put into place the um, the other big piece is to prepare for an infection of a team member um, or yourself and how is that going to impact the office and it's going to happen um, or it's likely to happen and so thinking through what you're going to do to preserve the office you know continue treating patients or dealing with patients um, I think is going to be a really is going to is something that's really helpful to do going into reopening at least um, now that's not necessarily a requirement of the facility plan but it could be part of it you could customize it to think about how you're going to deal with that and that way you're thinking about it with a clear mind as opposed to kind of reacting to to an emergency nice so those are the general guidelines um, and I, I just want to reiterate that I think training your staff is going to be crucial as well as documenting what you're doing the training you're doing and the screening you're doing is going to be good if if uh, or is is definitely a um, best practices as you open up Joe, and so, Christian oh, if I can jump oh, in ahead. there I'm sorry I just want to reemphasize to you that noticing an acknowledgement of risk form it's it's a warning for people that just being in the dental office increases their risk of COVID-19. And usually right. the last thing you want to do is warn someone from coming to your office. <laughs> I get that. But this is important. Um, and I would think of this as an extension of the informed consent process. When you get consent for treatment, you have to let them know the risks. And right. this is just a continuation of that process. And that signed piece of information should be in the patient's file. Does that risk form, Lisa, I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but you know, does that protect the office from a lawsuit from a patient or is it, it's, uh, I think there's gotta be some questions about that. So I, I just wanna ask. It shows that you inform the patient of the risks yeah. and that is going to be your best protection yeah. from a lawsuit down the road. We can never say something's going to guarantee that you're not gonna get sued. Okay. Um, there, isn't no, there is no magic wand like that. But at the same time, it is a best practice that is being recommended re recommended by the board, and I suggest you go with it. Okay. So now, an overall kind of question that I've been asked already is this piece, you know, what are the chances that the state of Minnesota is going to actually go out and audit a dental practice that they have this facility plan, or they have something on a piece of paper written down where they can show them, here's how we're, we're doing A, B, C, D, and E. And I've already been asked that a couple of times. I've already said, look, be safe. Don't be sorry. <laughs> you know, just, you know, and so I just wanted to, to get your guys' thoughts on that. It's probably going to come up. Um, it's most likely to come up after there's a complaint. Um, right. if, a, if a patient complains or a staff member, you know, more likely right. would complain. You know, that's where you're going to have a high chance of an audit. You know, it still can happen if, you know, if nothing has gone wrong, but if, uh, or if the board finds that a lot of offices are not complying, you know, then they might do a broader audit process, but you know, you can't control someone complaining um, to the board. And, and so that means that the, you need to be prepared for it. 
And I would add that the Minnesota board enforces the standard regulations that dentists have to act in their patients' best interests. Mm -hmm. um, dentists are required to not put public health at risk, and they are supposed to do nothing that brings discredit to the profession. Um, those are the standards written out in statute and regulations already. So that is the board's job. So if you're doing something like running an office without a facility plan, mm -hmm. you probably are violating one of those standards. Sure. And that's what makes you subject to the Minnesota board's um, review. And they have the power to do an investigation. Um, Minnesota OSHA also has the power to investigate workplaces. And so th that's another um, area of enforcement that we could see down the road. I see that. Okay. Lisa, Joe, you know, just another quick thought for you guys. Have you heard back from clients who have opened this week about how things are going? Uh, I know, Joe, you gave one example. Um, I've been getting uh, feedback from clients that, you know, they're, they've got the N95 mask, they have a level three mask, and they have a face shield. And, you know, after about a couple hours of doing dentistry, I mean, they're ready to pass out <laughs> just from dehydration. And so I'm like, how do you figure that out? Well, they're trying to figure that out. And how do you get water in? And then you have to you know, take all the PP off. You got to put it all the way all back on. So I'm just wondering if you guys have any stories or any thoughts on that. So Christian, I have a sister who is a labor and delivery nurse. And she's been working through the whole pandemic. And she does 12-hour shifts because that's how the hospital organizes those nurses. Wow. She's given one mask, one surgical mask for a 12-hour shift. Oof. And so... Other health professionals have been dealing with this for weeks. Got it. So my best suggestion is to tap into those other resources in your local area. Mm -hmm. If you know of doctors or nurses who've been working through this, ask them how, what was the best way for them to deal with those problems. For my sister, um, she actually found that the mask was like literally doing damage to her ears. Right. And they came up with a piece of plastic that could be printed on a 3D printer that can actually hold things back a little further underneath your ponytail. So it made it more comfortable for the nurses on her floor. She literally had her teenager print out a bunch of those and she gave them out to all the nurses. She's a charge nurse. So she gave them out to all of her nurses that she could. Um, there are creative solutions. I'm not saying it's going to be better because I'll tell you, I, I had to wear an N95 mask a few weeks ago for a few hours and it was hell. And I, I had more sympathy for my sister than I've ever had before in my life. Um, I love her, but you know, she complains a lot. So it is one of those things where this is not going to be comfortable and no. it's going to be different. And this is going to be the normal for a little while, for okay. a while, and then maybe come back into fashion again. We'll see. So you're saying that you can do a really good uh, a rendition of Darth Vader then? Uh, yes, Lisa. pretty much. <laughs> you know, I've heard other solutions like if your glasses fog up, if you're wearing loops, right? Yes, you can put you can put Dawn soap on them. Don't rinse it off; just do a, a thin layer, and it helps it not to fog up. So yes. there are things out there that other health professionals have discovered that are really practical. So I would tap yes. into those resources. The Dental Breakdown Show, sponsored by White & Associates Practice Consulting. Better business, better dentistry. They are a practice management consulting firm for dentists and other healthcare-related businesses. Their sole purpose is to implement proven strategies through online and in-practice visits and result in the personal professional success of the dentist and his or her team. Lisa, you are the, our employment law expert. 
And I know you've been dealing with um, all the employee pieces that have gone that are kind of behind the scenes a little bit with the offices reopening. Mm -hmm. um, I know you've got a lot to share on that. So I think I'm just going to kind of turn the floor over to you. Okay. There are two general areas I want to talk about. One is okay. about what laws currently apply to small employers as they are reopening and employees are starting to come back. And the second thing is what to do when employees don't want to come back. Um, so first, I want to talk about what are the regulations that apply to small dental offices. And these are, it's important because dentists generally are exempt or can, can qualify for an exemption from a lot of employment statutes. So anything dealing with the Family Medical Leave Act, the extension of the Family Medical Leave Act, the Federal Families First Coronavirus Response Act, um, and also the Americans with Disabilities provisions, generally our dentists we work with are small enough that they don't deal with that. Um, and I've talked about how to qualify for exemptions on other podcasts, Christian, that you've put yeah. out. So I don't want to repeat myself there. Okay. Or if this is new news to you, give us a call. We'd be happy to talk you through those bigger pieces of federal legislation. Mm -hmm. But there are three statutes or laws that you need to know about, okay. and, and they affect dental offices. Number one, the Minnesota Human Rights Act applies to every employer in the state of Minnesota. And it says you cannot discriminate against an employee because they've filed unemployment benefits, they've filed a complaint with Minnesota OSHA about how you're running your business, or who have um, had, had to um, request a change at work because of social distancing, maybe they're caring for a child who's sick or things like that. You want to be careful not to run afoul of the Minnesota Human Rights Act. The other thing to remember is that that act covers age discrimination. So if you're worried about older workers um, who might face you know, a more severe case of COVID-19, don't assume that you should bring back younger workers first and leave older workers out or things like that. That's age discrimination. And that might apply or it might not. You need to talk with people individually to find out what's really going on with them. So in general, you need to be aware of that, um, the provisions of the Minnesota Human Rights Act. More specifically and more important probably in this case now is Minnesota OSHA regulations. Um, they protect workers who refuse to return to work, who in good faith reasonably, reasonably believe a work condition presents an imminent danger of harm. Now that's a mouthful. Um, that is. So <laughs> I think the best way to think about it is that if you've got someone working for you who believes things are unsafe or unhealthy because of an infectious agent, which the coronavirus is an infectious agent, they can object to returning to work. What's important here is really about specific things that are specific and things that are general. It doesn't mean that an employee can say, I'm worried about getting COVID-19 in general, and therefore I won't return to work. That okay. is a generalized anxiety that we're all facing as a society. True. And Minnesota OSHA regulations don't protect against kind of generalized worries. But they do require that if it's something specific, that you do something to address it. So I would say, for as long as it's reasonable, right? We've got all those qualifiers in that big sentence I said earlier. <laughs> but let's say that you're requiring a hygienist to come into work 
and work with a tool that causes aerosol spray without an N95 mask. That, and the hygienist of Jackson says that places me in harm. That hygienist has some reason for saying that is probably reasonable. And you need yeah. to look at and find information about reducing aerosol risks, which you can find on the board's um, website. I would emphasize that if people have specific things to think creatively, read about infection control and what's important, it should be based on science. Um, mm -hmm. You should listen to what makes your employees comfortable when they come to work. And being patient with people instead of just saying, I don't need to do that, that's not in the regulation. Um, listen, if you can do something simple to get someone back through the door and get them producing again, that's important. Um, right. So we want people to think creatively about um, what you can do to make people feel safe. So if you talk to someone who says, I don't want to come back to work, find out if they have something specific they're worried about, or do they have something just generalized or something bigger mm -hmm. that is keeping them um, okay. from coming back into work. Additionally, um, last night on, um, on May 13th, Governor Walls in his statement said he was looking for ways to increase investigations into workplace complaints. I have no idea what that's going to look like. Okay. I don't know if he's going to change regulations. I don't know if he's going to increase the staff of Minnesota OSHA, maybe have Veed take over some investigations. I have no idea. We're going to have to wait and see. Um, mm -hmm. I don't anticipate that it will be specifically aimed at dentists, but it might be aimed at Minnesota employers in general, and we'll have to wait and see what that might be. So stay tuned. There's more coming. Oh boy. I feel like I've been saying that for the last six weeks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but, but, uh, but you're so good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. Employed. <laughs> <laughs> so the third law that's important to keep in mind is actually a law I wasn't very familiar with until now, which is under Minnesota law, if there is a pandemic or the Minnesota Department of Health issues orders to quarantine or self-isolate, your employees are entitled up to 21 days of unpaid leave. Wow. I want to emphasize this. This is unpaid leave. And that's only if they are ordered to quarantine. So how is this going to come up? Well, Looks like next week, people are going to start being in groups of 10 or more. Correct. So let's say you take your child to a birthday party, and then you find out later that child that you, whose party you were at was contagious um, or is now tested positive for COVID-19. Okay. You are, going to you are going to get an order from Minnesota Department of Health if they are doing adequate tracing uh. to say you need now to stay home for 14 days and self-isolate. So when your employees do get those orders to self-isolate, because let's face it, there are more, they're projecting more deaths, they're projecting more cases, they are. there is more testing yet to come. This is going to happen. Yes. Um, and it might not be from the office, it might be from outside the office. It doesn't matter what exposure, what the exposure is from. What matters is if you're ordered to self-quarantine, you've got to give your employees unpaid leave to go and do that. So how are you going to cover those absences of employees if they have to self-quarantine? Hopefully it isn't an exposure in the office where everyone gets hit. Hopefully it is something that's more isolated, but people need to think through how they're going to do that. But it is a specific law with the Minnesota Department of Health um, that allows for that, un, again, unpaid leave. I want to emphasize that. But 
you should know your own employee handbook. And I've said this before, but you need to understand your own rules for sick leave, vacation, and extending unpaid leave. Read it, know it, and use it when these situations come up with your staff. And if you think you need to make some adjustments, you can do that anytime. Um, just know that changing the rules in the middle of a pandemic might not be the best time to do that. Um, but if you realize that you are doing things that aren't going to work for you, um, you know, talk to us, let us help you through that because that's, mm -hmm. it is important um, to understand what your leave requires. Maybe you have to pay for one day of that leave. Maybe you need to pay for two days. You need to know um, mm -hmm. what you're facing with that. So those are three laws. Um, Minnesota Discrimination Act, uh, Minnesota Human Rights Act, Minnesota OSHA regulations, and also the pandemic law that says employers must give up to 21 days of unpaid leave. Those are all three things you've got to know about. So the, those are the statutory things that are going to apply to everybody. My name is Joe Frickton. I am the founder and principal of Minnesota Transitions. We are a law firm supporting dentists through all stages of the transition process and through all stages of their careers. We have become a trusted transition firm because we listen to our clients and we work tirelessly to make sure each of them reach their transition goals. The most common question we get, which are people calling us and saying, my employee is making more money by staying at home than they are coming back to work and they do not want to come back to work their normal hours. True, it's true, happening true. all over the place. It's not unique to dentistry. No, it's not. Um, so we just talked about three laws that apply to the situation. So if an employee is refusing to return to work, make sure you understand why. Is mm -hmm. it just money? Is it just unemployment benefits? Is it a specific reason they don't feel comfortable returning to the office? You need to talk to them and get to the bottom of the issue and understand and listen to them because you can't just assume it's about the money. If you're just assuming it's about the money, you're probably making a mistake. True. Um, so please talk with your employees, find out what's really going on. Um, now, the truth is, is that if anyone wants to continue collecting unemployment and they're refusing to come back to a job that's available to them, mm -hmm. they generally are no longer eligible for unemployment benefits. Um, I say likely because this is a decision by the Minnesota Unemployment Office. They make the final call on who qualifies and who doesn't qualify for unemployment. But if you report that you had hours for an employee to work and they did not come to the office, that has traditionally meant that they are not entitled to unemployment benefits. Can you say that I again? Wanna, if you report, because employers have to verify that someone who's on temporary layoff was still out of the office. If you report that they were eligible to come back to that office um, and that you're open, that has traditionally meant that that employee is no longer entitled to okay. unemployment benefits. That okay. includes the $600 from the feds. You Got either it. qualify for unemployment or you don't. Okay. Um, now you do have that in-between spot where maybe you're someone who used to work two days a week is coming back just one day a week right now because you don't have a full schedule. That mm -hmm. person is still entitled to apply for benefits for that reduced hours. That's fine. But we're talking about people who just don't even want to come in the door, right? You've got their normal, their old schedule ready for them, um, and they don't want to show up. That's the situation we're talking about. Okay. So but I want to emphasize again, this is not normal times. And finding um, 
finding new employees is going to be like finding hen's teeth right now. And we thought the employment um, market for dental assistants, hygienists, and others was tight before. It's still tight. Um, there are very few people who can really work those positions or have great experience in those positions. So I would encourage everyone to think about creative solutions for your employees. For instance, are they suddenly dealing with a childcare issue that they didn't have it before because their childcare is not available? Well, is there a shift in hours that would work better for them? Um, if you are, um, if, is there a way for them to get other coverage from, you know, maybe they're working with a spouse who works a different shift, maybe just shifting around hours work. work. Um, maybe you are super busy. I've actually talked with one dentist who's like double booked all day and then had an evening appointment. Um, some places are really hopping right now. Can you give a hygienist an opportunity to work more than their normal hours so that they're getting a bigger paycheck from working more than staying home? Um, what can you do to help work with them? Um, if you have other people and you have an open front desk position, could you have one of the hygienists cover the front desk position right now? Because they know how your office works. You know, what, what kind of creative solutions can you come up with? I want to encourage people to be flexible because this is a marathon and not a sprint. And opening your office might feel like a sprint. I totally get that. But we're facing increased cases and deaths over the next two months. That's what the models are saying. And a probable second wave in the future. And how you treat your employees now will mark whether you are someone people want to come work for or you're someone people want to avoid. And so if you can become one of those employers that people want to work for, that's going to help you in the future. And that's an investment in your business. That is. Um, it if you're not any fun to be around, trust me, the word gets out real quick. <laughs> exactly. uh, just ask me. Well, no, no, don't ask me. <laughs> um, so Lisa, here's what I get asked a lot. Okay. And it's here where we're sitting here on Thursday and I've been getting asked this since Monday. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've been waiting till now. Okay. And you kind of have answered it already, but you know, the, the dentists want to know, okay, at what point um, if I open my office, Lisa, and you know, if I'm ready to go and I have hours set for an employee, whether it's an assistant or whether it's a hygienist, and they refuse to come to work, okay? Now, they're not giving a specific reason, okay? This is the important part. At what mm -hmm. point do I let, can I let them go? Or when does that come into the, into the picture? That's kind of where I'm getting a lot of confusion for people, and I want to make sure. sure I asked you that. Sure, so that is a pretty typical question, and I would emphasize that if you have an employee handbook yes. that says if you don't show up for your scheduled shifts, it's considered a voluntary resignation, it makes things pretty easy because, ah, okay. because that information says, listen, you didn't show up, you were scheduled, I, I'm going to accept your voluntary resignation. Um, some places don't have a handbook, um, so in which case you would probably want to, number one, tell the employee, I expect you to be here during these hours next week if you don't come, um, you know, and you've already spent time on the phone with them, you've already tried to problem solve, you've already tried all those other things, you need to put them on notice that if they don't come in, their employment will be terminated. And then you would report that to the Minnesota um, Unemployment Office that the position was um, is considered no longer held by that person and it's no longer being held open for them. Okay, so now Lisa, 
if the employee is not coming to work, but they have a specific reason because, you know, some, mm -hmm. there's a safety problem or in their eyes, there's something, you know, what, I mean, if they've got a specific reason, then that's something where, you know, you kind of, we need to kind of make an effort to take care of the problem or figure out what's going on or come up with a solution before we just, before we say, okay, you're done. Now, am I right, right in that? Absolutely. Yep. If okay. there's something specific, like they're saying, well, listen, you're, you're not screening um, patients coming in with a thermometer um, and there are, maybe there's no thermometers available to you. Um, there, there are things that maybe you can come up with, which says we require all patients to take a temperature before they come to the appointment or, okay. you know, try to come up with ways to make things happen as you need to, um, and listen to your employees. They might have a really good point. Mm -hmm. Or if you think it's just a bunch of gobbledygook that they got off the internet somewhere, um, talk with them about the science, talk with them about, um, infection, um, control, talk to them about what you're doing to disinfect and see if you can work it out. And I'm not saying you always will be. There are plenty of people who base decisions not on great information. And, um, and let's face it, it, it is, it says it in the acknowledgement form where you have patients signed. You are at an increased risk of having COVID-19 if you're in a dental office. It's just the nature of a dental office. But we've also been told it's safe enough to reopen. True. And so it is um, finding the balance between those two um, those two points. Okay, that's, that's going to be a key issue. And I know you guys are dealing with that this week. And we're going to continue mm -hmm. to deal with that as we kind of move forward. Um, it's just because it's going to pop up. Um, yep. and it already is. <laughs> um, it's popped up. It's popped up a lot. But I would say, um, in, in general, from people I've heard from, um, the idea that they can be flexible, or they can talk through things a little bit more sometimes surprises them. Um, they think there's just one black or white answer. There isn't, um, there never really is an employment law. There's lots of in-between steps you can take that might eventually lead to termination, but maybe there are some baby steps to help avoid that if possible. So then here's where, you know, Joe, if you had a facility plan that was documented and you have, you know, we're doing this point one, you know, you know point two, three, four, five to make sure everybody's safe. And if you were to communicate that with your team and go through it with them, I think that would take care of a, a large percentage of what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, in, in addition, what it does is that it prevents the staff from potentially coming up with a, a an issue um, right. because you know you can show them that that you know their general concern about something might be you know they might have that concern but it's not not a legitimate concern because you're dealing with it by following the cdc guidelines following what the board of dentistry is recommending um and you know that justifies it kind of uh, buttresses your ability to show them that that they need to come to work um, and that their particularized concern is not not valid. So, but I agree with what Lisa said. You know, talking to them and talking around the issue um, is going to be the best best solution. So here's something that came up yesterday, and I, I wanted to bring just ask you guys about this. So a dental office, uh, you know, they applied for their PPP uh, loan. Um, and they submitted, you know, these are, this is our team. These are, this is who's working for us. This is the hours everybody's working, you know, all the information you need to submit. And then yes, they, so they got their, their money into their account. And then 
all of a sudden you have an employee who decides to no longer want to work there and quit. Now, does that affect that at all? Or is that after the fact and that's something that's out of the business owner's control? So under the PPP guidelines, you need to maintain the same headcount that you had prior to um, late March, essentially. And, um, and so if, you, if a staff member comes back under the way the original guidelines were written, you actually would reduce the forgiveness amount for the PPP loan. Um, but what the SBA has come out with is part of their regulations are going to be that as long as you document that you've offered the job back to the staff member and that staff member has documented that they've refused to come back to work, then you are not going to be subject to that same headcount requirement. But that's a recent change in the last week, you know, right at the end of April, beginning of May, when we, when that came out. Okay. That's, I literally got a call yesterday on that. And I was like, well, we're going to, I could bring that up tomorrow because we're going to chat yeah. about that. <laughs> yep. Um, Cause I know that they're not going to be the only office that's going to have that happen. Unfortunately. Oh, exactly. But the key is to document that, you yeah. know, document that the offer was made and it can be in an email, you know, they don't, the, the employee doesn't necessarily have to sign anything as long as you write a memo or an email that you offered the job at you know, the normal hours, uh, normal wages back to that, that employee. And then on, you know, on such and such date, and then on the on X date that employee refused, and then you print that off, put that in the employee's file, and then you're gonna be fine. And in your file of PPP documentation, which we definitely recommend you have um, for getting that forgiveness. Hello, my name is Lisa Netzer and I'm an employment attorney working at Minnesota Transitions. I specialize in advising employers on tough employment decisions and guiding them through the legal requirements. I also represent dentists who are facing an investigation by the Minnesota Board of Dentistry. I help dentists work through tough situations so they can get back to work. Has been wonderful. Um, you know, do you guys have any closing remarks that you'd like to add? You know, before we before we end, just that if you have any questions, you know, about any of the topics that we came up today, you know, feel free to give us a call. Our phone number is 952-297-8308. 952-297-8308. and our uh, website is mntransitions.com. Now, and I'd we, like to really encourage people to reach out. Employment law is a bit of a minefield. Um, <laughs> if, if you are worried or you feel in your gut that maybe a tough decision has to be made and you'd like to just talk it through, um, give us a call because these are tough decisions and they affect people's livelihoods, sometimes affects their medical insurance. There's lots of hoops to jump through. Um, we'd be happy to work with you through it. That's well said, Lisa. Thank you very much. You guys are awesome as always. Um, thank you so much. And I think our listeners are really, really going to gain you know, a lot of information from this and they're going to be much better informed. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening today. I'm Christian White, the CEO of White & Associates Practice Consulting, Better Business, Better Dentistry. If you would like more information on today's topic, you can contact us at whitedentalconsulting.com slash breakdown. Keep those teeth white and see you next time on the Dental Breakdown Show.